If I really wanted to be ugly, I would say, now, if Marilyn would sit down, we'd sit down and say, but I'm afraid of you. I would never do that. Okay. Uh, everybody smile. You know I'm just playing. Uh, it is always a blessing to be together, especially when we are able, and she's right, I did start early. Uh, uh, always a blessing to be together and study God's Word. You know, that makes me think of a place where I... Uh, was called to go preach on one occasion. Uh, they called me to come out there, and I might have been, I can't remember now, it was quite a ways uh, of, of traveling. And uh, Lisa and I got there about 20 minutes till time for the morning service uh, to start at 10, I, I suppose. And uh, we said there was nobody in the parking lot. Lights were off, building was locked. So this is Sunday, right? Uh, and it was 15 till nobody. Ten till nobody. I thought, well, they must have found out I was preaching. Uh, so, but about f- six minutes till, it was like geese landing on a pond. <sighs> Parking lot filled up. Everybody went in. Uh, so, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, tonight, as we begin, of course, we have a large number. We have a lot of people on. Uh, the sick list, a lot of people in the bulletin who need our prayers for various things, who are uh, hurting, who are dealing with uh, medical treatments, upcoming tests, those kinds of things, who are struggling with the various things that are part of life. Please take time to remember those folks in your prayers. And even if you forget their names, I know this is going to sound strange, but I have tried to make it a practice to include in my prayers regularly, uh, Father, remember those whom I have told on Facebook that I'm praying for them. And I know that sounds funny. I don't mean it that way. But if we do that, if we say, hey, I'm praying for you, um, I try to do that, but I forget. Uh, I forget. Uh, God doesn't forget, and that's a, that's a good thing. Tonight, we're in Psalm, uh, Psalm 119, and if you're keeping up, you say, wait a minute, you skipped eight verses, and I did. Uh, Lord willing, we are coming to the end of our time together, and we're about to swap. We're about to have new classes begin in May, and uh, we'll say more about that next week or so. 
But uh, I wanted to, I had more sections to finish than I would be able to finish uh, in the next three uh, times together. And there are uh, three sections that for sure I wanted to cover. And so I moved to one of those tonight. As we begin our study, will you bow with me as we pray together? Father God, we are so mindful of your goodness and your grace. We are thankful for the opportunity that you give us to live on this earth, to prepare ourselves for eternity, to serve you in every capacity that you allow us, for which you equip us. And Father, help us be mindful that your Word is what equips us. Tonight, as we study Psalm 119, Lord, help us to be able to look into these verses, verses 129 through 136, and see the power in your truth to equip us to serve you. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, tonight, as we uh, take a look at this, I got my, uh, okay, there we go. I want us to, first, we won't read this, we'll read this section two verses at a time. And of course, as we think about every section of Psalm 119, as I have already said, yes, there are some uh, repetitive sections, or there are some verses that appear to be repeating themselves, but... When we look closely, we discover every time David, every time a section of this uh, beautiful song, this beautiful psalm, uh, addresses or, or talks about or shows us something about the Word of God, we learn something just a little different. We learn a, an aspect, we learn a perspective, or we come to a perspective about the Word of God as it is able to change us, as it, as it is able to uh, motivate us and direct us. And so tonight, I want us to focus our study through a question. What is my personal response to the Word of God? You know, I think it is a mistake when we sometimes, when we back off from the idea of a personal relationship with God. Now, that doesn't mean that I get to pick and choose and it's based on my terms. Absolutely never. But my service to God is not something, what I mean by that, let me preface what I'm saying, is that if we're not careful, it's easy to simply loop ourselves into the masses, loop ourselves into, and as long as I seem to be going along with the flow, uh, everything's all right. But I need to understand that according to what the Bible tells me in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, Paul said that each one of us, that's a singular Situation. Every one of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and receive the things done in his or her body. Now, yes, that's going to be based on the truth, based on the gospel, based on the Bible. We know that. I have a personal responsibility to listen to the Word of God and apply the Word of God and live the Word of God. Uh, yes, in accordance to his will. Yes, as a part of the body of his son. And yes, uh, uh, as a, a, a member of that body. But does the word of God connect to me personally? 
And that's where I want us to go as we think about this particular passage tonight. First of all, look at verses 129 and 130. And I want us to think about what David says here. First of all, I recognize my personal response to the Word of God in the very first place is I recognize the wonderful Word of God. I recognize how wonderful God's Word is. And please don't take that as cliche. Well, of course it's wonderful, preacher. It's the Bible. Well, of course it's wonderful. It's God's Word. No, no, no. Do you and I, listen to what David said, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. Not the English word wonderful means that when I get everything I want, I got all the presents I wanted at the birthday party that they gave me, and I got the cake just the kind I wanted and the ice cream to go with it, and it was wonderful. It made me happy. No, no. Your testimonies are full of wonder. Your testimonies are full of wonder. They're wonderful in that they are beyond anything I can imagine. Therefore, my soul keeps them. There isn't a source that is greater than God's Word. There isn't anything that can compare to the Word of God. And so I keep them because they are wonderful. That Word carries with it much more meaning than we might sometimes um, consider the unfolding of your words give light. I think the King James and the New King James say the entrance of your word gives light. The idea of this Hebrew word is not an entrance and is as in just suddenly all of a sudden, ta-da, I'm here, full force, but the continual coming in, the continual unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts wisdom or understanding to the simple. Okay, let's think about that for ourselves just a minute. In the New Testament, Jesus said of himself in John 8, 12, I am the blank of the world. I am the light of the world. Okay, when I say blank, that's your cue to speak up. Okay, I am the light of the world. That's what he said, wasn't it? Now, go with me to John 11. John 11, verses 9 and 10. So when we get to John 11, Jesus has already said, I am the light of the world. And when we record what John writes in 11, we know that Lazarus has died, and he and his disciples are headed to Jerusalem. And in the context of that, the disciples have asked him, the Jews desire to kill you, you're going to go back to Jerusalem? And then he tells them that Lazarus has died. He has that conversation with them. But in the midst of that conversation, I want you to look at verses 9 and 10. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. Okay, in the midst of that, Jesus was using a, a, a very simple comparison, uh, an understanding, an analogy that nobody could miss, that if you're walking in the dark, you're likely to stumble. If you're walking in the daylight, the light of this world is, is shining, then uh, you can see where you're going and you're not going to stumble. Okay, but he wasn't talking about a physical journey there. He wasn't talking about, uh, even though he was talking about the light of this world. He was talking about Jesus 
He was talking about himself. He was talking about God. He was talking about his truth, the truth, God's truth, uh, shining. Now, hold that thought and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses, well, let's read verses 3 and 4. Now, what I want us to do, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. What I want us to do is I want this to be a very practical class. I want you to go away from this saying, okay, I understand now what David was saying. First of all, my personal response to the Word of God is I recognize how wonderful it is. I recognize how powerful it is. My soul keeps them because I recognize what it is. It is God's light that unfolds for me. When Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, he was talking about God's Word. Wait a minute, isn't that why John said of Jesus, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us? I was talking about Jesus, wasn't it? And didn't Hebrews 1 tell us that God in different times and different ways spoken to the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken to us by whom? His Son. He was talking about Christ. So Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he said to his disciples there, if you're walking through this world without light, you're going to stumble. But if you have the light, you won't stumble. Okay, now, somebody read 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6. Uh, yeah, 3 through 6, if you don't mind. And even if our gospel is faithful, it is faithful only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing When I listen to what David said there, I understand that that isn't just something that sounds good. It isn't just a well-penned psalm, a part of the Old Testament that is good to be read and thought on. But no, that's exactly what God is doing for us. Uh, here, if, and I love when I read the, the King James, it said, if our gospel be hidden, it's hidden to those who are lost. And for a long time, I struggled with that. Wait a minute. Uh, God would hide the gospel? No, no, God didn't hide the gospel. Satan hides the gospel. Or he blinds the eyes. He doesn't actually hide it. He, can't, he has no power over it, but he can hide it from us. How? By blinding our eyes. By blinding our minds so that we can't see it. But then he goes on to say, and thank you for reading that. He goes on to say, God said, let light shine out of darkness. And he's shown in our hearts the light of the knowledge. of the." When God's word shines in our hearts, it illuminates the path that we live. Okay, so in the very first place, I recognize the wonderful word of God for what it is. For the light that it is. That's important, don't you think? Now, let's read one more verse. Turn to Luke chapter 11. And you might think that this is a strange verse to go with this particular point. And you still might after I explain why I'm using it, but hopefully not. In Luke chapter 11, verses 34 
through 36. Listen to what Jesus said here. He made it clear through the pen of Paul that Satan is able to cloud our vision, to cloud our thought processes, to cloud our minds with sin so that our spiritual eyes cannot see. And, if we can, and that means we're in the dark. And if we're in the dark, we're going to stumble. If we stumble, we're going to fall. If we fall, we're going to be lost. So, the under, Paul, uh, uh, sorry, David said the unfolding of your word, when the word is folded back in the understanding of my mind and my heart, that's when the light is shining in. You know, that is so super simple, but yet it's so powerful. Okay, somebody read Luke 11, 34 through 36, please. The lamp of the body is the eyes. Therefore, when your eyes are good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eyes are bad, your body is also full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no dark darkness, now, have you ever read that particular passage and scratched your head and thought, wait, what is Jesus talking about there? What is he trying to get across to us? Uh, the eye, your eyes, the lamp of your body. If when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, when it's bad, it's full of darkness, and be careful lest the light in you is darkness. That's exactly what David is, is telling us here. When the word of God, when the words of the testimonies of God's truth unfolds in our lives, we let it unfold, then it illuminates what we need to see. But if we, if, if our perceptions, if well, how we feed our souls and our hearts, and our minds, it wasn't by accident, or it wasn't insignificant when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. Because all those components are important. I have to make sure that what goes into my soul is the light. Otherwise... I have no path. I can't see my path as God would have me see it. So first of all, I recognize the wonderful Word of God. Number two, as I think about my personal response, I long for the gracious Word of God. Look at verses 131, 132. I open my mouth and pant. You know, it's interesting. We sang that song this morning in the 830 service, and I'm so uh, glad that we did. Uh, my soul pants thee, for thy living word. You know, in our language, we, we think, what? You know, we think of somebody who's out of breath and panting, and it, it, doesn't make, it, doesn't, it doesn't connect with us, because usually when I'm panting, it's after I've, well, these days, it's after I've gotten up and put on my shoes, or done just about anything else, but that's another problem. But I open my mouth and I pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Okay, what's he talking about there? This word pant literally has the idea of to inhale eagerly, to desire earnestly, to devour completely in enthusiasm. 
Okay, wait a minute. I open my mouth and I pant. He's saying there, I am completely overwhelmed and consumed with an absolute desire to know more. To know everything God wants me to know. I can't get enough. You don't have to remind me to study my Sunday school lesson, as the old saying goes. You don't have to remind me to do my daily Bible reading because I cannot wait. I can't wait to read some more and learn some more. Now, I'll be the first one to tell you that it shames me to know that there are times in my life when that's, that doesn't describe me. It doesn't describe me. But it absolutely should. It absolutely should. You know, it's interesting right now, God has blessed me with the opportunity to do some graduate courses. And I've been uh, reading some pretty interesting interesting things to which to every other person on planet Earth were absolutely boring. Uh, I told Lisa what I was reading the other day, and she's like, Why? You know, would anybody? You know, but because of the I like it. I think it's interesting. That's the way you and I react to the Word of God. I long for the gracious Word. I can't get enough. That idea of panting here, uh, they understood it. I am so eager about it. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5 and verse number 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Sometimes I'm afraid we get that, the thought process that that is referring to just an overwhelming desire to want to be good. Now, I don't think you harm the scriptures by including that, but when you take into account that when Paul talks about the gospel, take the number 16 out and take the number 17 out and just read that as a paragraph. Paul says I'm in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God and salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it is found the righteousness of God from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Wait a minute. What did you say, Paul? He said the, go the, the gospel is God's power to save. And one of the reasons is that in that gospel is where God's righteousness is. So when I think about that, Jesus said, blessed is the person who, is, who hungers and thirsts because he'll be filled. And again, that's not, uh, we think, okay, I'll just hunger and thirst and, and God will open my head. He'll open my heart. He'll open my soul like the top of a container and just pour it in. Okay? The word thirst and the word hunger, in the Greek, they both have the understanding of a craving, an overwhelming craving. Now, it may be that you and I, in our world in which we live, we don't truly appreciate the idea of a craving because we've had to do without. Oh, we understand a craving that causes us to get up and drive to Sonic uh, at 8 o'clock at night to get a certain kind of hamburger. I may or may not have done that in my life. Uh, and some of you may have done the same thing. Not that kind of craving. But you absolutely are driven to have it. 
Because it's so important. It's so necessary. And that's what the idea of the word thirst and the word hunger is about in that passage. Um, When I think about, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. There's so many verses there. But I think about Titus, um, Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, live soberly, righteously, and godly. Teaching us the grace of God is found in his truth. That passage makes that absolutely clear. It's found in his truth. You know, the grace of God suddenly will come to me if I just simply look up and ask for it. Not unless I'm willing to pick up God's word and let him fill me with it. Because that's where it's found. Just as surely is, uh, in fact, uh, here's something uh, that's interesting. You and I can be uh, within sight of something that would save us. And if, we, if you and I were absolutely in a desert and we were thirsting or somewhere, we were absolutely, totally dehydrated to the point of death. If you and I had gone just as long as we could go without food and we were emaciated and we were dehydrated and we were just that close to the end because of our systems being shut down and someone came to us and put an IV full of fluid in their lines, that's, that could save us, Right? Yes or no? Uh, Yes. What happens if I take that and I pull it out? You'll die. Who would do such a thing? Would you pull it out? In the very side of that, and you could lie right there with that bag hanging over you and die. With it in your hand. Because you separated yourself from it. That's the idea of, I I, turn to me and be gracious, as is your way. I, I long for your commandments. I have to be willing to uh, listen to what God has to say to me. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and I want us to read. Uh, Let's start about verse 23. Romans 8 and verse 23. And let's read through 25. I'm not going to take time to hunt for it. Uh, it's not in my head. Uh, that happens sometimes. Uh, let's just go on. That's not the one I wanted. Number three. Number three. My personal reaction to the Word of God. First of all, I recognize the wonderful Word of God. Second of all, I long for the gracious Word of God. But third, look at these next two verses. I stay. My reaction to God's Word is that I stay with the rescuing Word of God. I stay with it because I know it has the power to rescue me. I know it has the power to keep me where I need to be. Keep steady my steps according to your promise. Have we ever stopped and just thought about the promises? The promise and all the different elements of that promise that God has made to us? 
We'll look at part of that in just a second. And let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. You know, it's always interesting to me that when David cries out for release or he cries out for rescue or he cries out for help against the oppression that's going on around him, it's always, help me, Lord, so I can go back to serving you. Help me so that I can keep your precepts. Not because I'm, I need you to rescue me so I can kind of do my own thing, but rescue me so I can go back to serving you. And I wonder if that's our prayer sometimes that, um, you ever heard a grandfatherly or a grandmotherly person um, say something like this? Well, I appreciate your apology and I understand that I believe that you are sorry. But are you sure you're not just sorry that you got caught? Anybody ever been in that situation before? Yes, you're sincere, and yes, you have remorse. But would you be in that spot had you not gotten caught? Sometimes getting caught is a, a great eye-opener to us in a lot of ways. So sometimes maybe we pray to God, to, Lord, get me out of this. Forgive me for this. Help me through this. But we didn't get to that until after we got caught or after it kind of finally hit us in the face. And we want to get through it. And then when we do get through it, it doesn't really change us. David said, Lord, redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts so that I can serve you as you want me to. Now turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I know that one's the one I wanted. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's look at verse 14. Does anyone else have that uh, trouble that uh, you think one thing and write down another? And nobody else have that problem? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 4. Uh, verse 14, I'm sorry. Verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now listen to this. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. Listen to what God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. Listen to it. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Keep listening. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no one clean thing. Okay, why? Sometimes we look at that verse and we think, now, wait a minute. Uh, uh, God, I want God to rescue me. I want, I want God to get me through this. Well, listen to what he said here. Don't be yoked with sin because sin, Christ has no part with sin. And if you're the temple... You can't fill the temple with things that are wrong. What fellowship has light with darkness? And, and on we go. But look what he said. Touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. God wants us to be separate from that which is impure, that which is sinful, that which is contrary to him so that he can use us. So that we can be His temple, He can dwell in us. That He can be a part of our lives. 
So I stay with the rescuing Word of God because it is only then it is the Word of God that will steady my steps. It is the Word of God that will purify my heart. It is the Word of God that shows me the things from which I need to be separate, that I don't need a part of. The Word of God will help remind me which things I need to unclick on Facebook and Instagram and all of those different things. Yes, I did. I went there. Things that I don't need to have part of. Why? So He can dwell in us. Sometimes we think it's that God will look down and say, Oh, He's doing great. You won't find that in Scripture. It's so that God can dwell in our hearts and God can use our lives because He's in our lives. You know, as I think about Scripture, and you might disagree with the fine points of this. I certainly don't intend to go outside of God's Word. But I, as I read the Scripture, our lives, God is not playing chess with us. He doesn't reach down and move us on the board but rather He dwells with us and He dwells in us and moves through us through His truth. And that's what David said. I stay with the rescuing Word of God because it steadies my steps. It focuses my life. It allows God to dwell within me. And now, uh, turn to 1 John 5. I want to share something with you that I just recently... came across in my own study. In 1 John 5, verses 18 and 19, and now, as I studied this passage, I've come to a conclusion that I think is very relevant. It makes sense to me. For a long time, and again, don't go out of here. Please never go out and say, well, that Hodgin fellow, he, he was bad-mouthing the certain... No, he wasn't. But when you read in the King James and the New King James, it says, and let's look at verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. I'm reading from the ESV here. But he who is born of God keeps himself, the King James says. Okay. Um, when I look at that particular word, the word himself, in the Greek there, it, it can be the pronoun him as well as in context the pronoun himself. And for a long time, there's nothing wrong with that phrase, keeps himself, because I walk in the light as he is in the light, and I have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Christ his Son cleanses us. That's as true as the day is long, because it's in the Word of God. But I want you to think about this particular verse. When I look at that, the, the rendering from the Greek, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. It's in that tense, doesn't do it habitually, doesn't do it on purpose. Doesn't mean perfection. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. In that context, it makes sense that that verse is telling us that we strive to not sin on purpose, and God, or Christ, who was begotten of God to be Jesus, John 3, 16, keeps us as we do what? As we walk in the light. 
as we strive to allow him to do that. So I stay with the rescuing word of God and, and therefore Christ is in me. I'm in Christ, he's in me. And then number four, my heart breaks with the word of God. Now that might sound strange to you, but my heart breaks with the word of God. Listen to what David said here. And I want you to be turning to John 2. Be turning to John 2. We're about to read an account in John 2 of something that every one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every one of them record this, but John goes into great detail. Look at verses 135 and 136. What, what do you think I mean when I say I, my heart breaks with the Word of God? Make your face shine upon your servant and teach your statutes. Teach me your statutes. Makes me think of the passage that says the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But look at that second verse, verse 136. My eyes shed streams of tears because your people do not keep your law. Do you hear the heartbreak in that passage? Make your face shine upon your servant, Lord. Teach me your statutes, Lord. So that I can live, it breaks my heart when I see your people. When I see people who will not keep your law, it saddens me, it breaks my heart, it causes me to respond that way. One of the short stories that I read with an English 2 class is a science fiction story that's about this pilot who's on a spaceship. You're thinking, oh, wait, wait, he's gone off again. No, this pilot had a decision to make, and it was about jettisoning this person who was aboard this small vessel that only had enough fuel for a certain amount of uh, travel, and, and, it, and it, that's what the crux of the story was about, but it's the word, it used this word to describe this pilot called inured, inured, I-N-U-R-E-E-D, that was a vocabulary word, none of my students had ever heard that word before, it, it means accustomed to, and it said this pilot was inured to the side of death, he, he was out there on the frontier, so long had he been in the presence of accidental and on purpose death that it didn't bother him anymore but it bothered him because of who this so I'm not going to teach the story to you but the idea of the word inured means that I can become accustomed I can become so in the presence of something that it doesn't bother me anymore and it needs to we know that right uh, if, perhaps you've been that way. Have you ever been around someone who's been, who works in a certain job and they come in? In fact, I, I'll always remember my dad for years worked at what Cooper Tire is now, but it was when it was Pennsylvania Tire. That was before many of you. That was a long time ago. And he would come in, and I'm going to tell you something. He worked in that uh, rubber, around that rubber, that tar making, that tire making. I didn't say tar, I promise. That tire making... <laughs> Jeremy, is there any way we can erase that from the... Okay, good, okay. Um, you can take the boy out of Tishomingo County, but you can never take the Tishomingo County out of the boy. Anyway, uh, 
in that tire making, and Tommy, he came in and he stunk. That, that rubber and that uh, industrial, but he's like, what? I don't stink. Okay. Why? Because he'd been in it for 12 hours. He'd been in it all of that time. You know? Have you ever walked in a house when grandma was cooking collards? <laughs> okay. Now, see, I don't even have to tell you, right? Didn't bother her at all why she'd been cooking all day. That's the idea of inured. Okay, now, you think, what in the world are you talking about here? Let's go to 1 Corinthians, uh, no, wait a minute, John 2, verses 13 through 17. Somebody read that for me. Not all at once. May I read it? Please. Now, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. When he made them with the cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, poured out the changers' money, and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now, think about that just for a second. The zeal of God's house having eaten me or up or consumed me is another, uh, another whole lesson and another whole discussion. But have you ever wondered, uh, I guess I'm a strange bird, but sometimes there are things that, that, that I wonder about in the Scripture that probably uh, shouldn't uh, take up my time. But I always wondered what that scene looked like. You know, Jesus' disciples were with him all the time. Can you imagine what they were saying? Jesus has stopped over here, and he's just standing there, and he's making... it. That wasn't a short... It took a minute. He's weaving a cord of whips together. What is he doing? What do you think he's going to do with that? Surely... Yeah, who's he about to whip? You know, that... I wondered, you know, it's always interesting that Jesus didn't use that whip on, on the people, but he used it on the animals. He, he drove those animals out, but he overturned the tables. You understand that uh, those tables were not, would not have been the $9.99 Walmart tables that you could push over. Uh, Jesus overturned those, and he scattered that money, and he drove those animals out because he was upset that God's house was being disrespected. He wasn't mistreating anybody. He was removing that which was defiling the house of God. It bothered him. It bothered him. Now, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and that'll be the last passage that we look at today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to read a passage, I said second, I meant first, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want us to let this sink in. David said that my eyes shed tears or streams of tears because people do not keep your word. Okay, tell me what the, before we read this passage, tell me what the significance in your thought process is that... The Holy Spirit, the Hebrew here, or that David chose that phrase, streams of tears, not just shed or cry. I cry 
or I'm sad, or shed tears. What's the... What? What makes you think that? Well, rivers of tears. Rivers of tears. It wasn't just a few tears, it was many. What does it mean? That comes from true heart. Right. That's right. Anybody else? Very good. Streams of tears. That's like weeping. That's exactly right. It's, it's weeping. And you know, maybe we don't fully appreciate the nuance or, or the impact of the word weeping. Let's, let's go to this verse because that idea is here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. And let's go through the verse, uh, first eight verses. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Puffed up, the uh, King James says. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Now we could stop right there and thought, well, yeah, I'll get him out. Uh, keep reading. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit present and with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. The purpose of this is so this man won't die lost. Need to remember that. Then he goes on and said, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So what's he saying there? is that the Word of God must be preserved. This soul can be saved, but you've got to put that soul in direct connection with the truth that shows that soul you're wrong for what you're doing. But for some reason, you're puffed up or you're arrogant about it. I'm not real sure what their problem was, but they just kind of were kind of proud of it. Not sure what was going on, but it's this word that I want you to think about. This word mourn. Interesting word. Ought you not rather to mourn? I wonder if we appreciate the depth of mourning spiritually. Yeah, glad, haughty. Not sure. Again, I still have a hard time wrapping my head around that. But he said what you should have done is to grieve, to wail... It means to bewail, B-E-W-A-I-L, bewail. We don't use that word much, do we? It means to be so emotionally. Look, I'm not trying to be funny, but I can use a word everybody in this room will understand. Have you ever seen someone who was absolutely tore up about something? Uh, You get that, don't you? They can't be consoled. They're absolutely beside themselves because it has bothered them to the core of who they are. And it's going to take a minute for them to get a control of themselves as far as their emotions because they're wailing, they're bewailing, they're lamenting. Now why is it that we lament over things that don't matter eternally, but things that are going on in the world 
don't seem to bother us the way they should. We don't lament. We've become inured. Look, I'm, I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to myself. I have been around things as a, uh, an educator, and I have seen certain you know, lifestyles out there in the world to the point that I've just kind of accepted it. Yeah, it kind of is what it is. And there are times when I have to remind myself, wait a minute. It's not okay. It's not okay for this to continue. Somebody's got to make a difference. It makes me think of that story you told about the starfish. No. There's absolutely no way that I can ever make a difference with all the students that I'll ever see, but I guarantee you I can with one. And then another one. And then maybe another one. If we did that with the souls we encounter, that with the sin that is happening around us, it's got to bother us. It's got to make a difference. David said, I shed streams of tears. Can you imagine David up at night, King David, powerful David, sitting on the side of his bed weeping because of people that he knew were living in sin? So my heart breaks with the Word of God. We must not lose that quality. Okay, I am. This is the second time I finished within a minute. Uh, that's a little scary. Um, thank you for any questions or comments. We're going to close there. Uh, if you have not had the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper, and by the way, I hope that you will take this and study it some more. But if you haven't had the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper, if you'll go to the back, there'll be someone there to help you with that. And if you have children uh, that you need to pick up, please go now. Uh, and then wait just a few seconds. How many? I always... Yeah. Uh, and then we'll dismiss. How many? Fifteen. Okay, fifteen. Um, I appreciate you and hope you have a great day.